Welcome again to Sunset Church of Christ. If you are visiting here, we're really delighted to have you. Uh, my name is Paul Schrepp. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm uh, filling in for Jim Hallway, our regular minister. Jim is uh, out preaching twice this morning. He's going to be at Coral Springs uh, Church and then also at Pompano. Uh, so, uh, you know, when, when Jim is not here, it's because he's working somewhere else. And when Jim is here, he's also working somewhere else because he preaches both uh, in Spanish and in English and, you know, runs over uh, to deliver the service, uh, the sermon in English just after he's uh, finished in Spanish. And Jim walks with a cane, so that, that's a tiresome run for him. We're grateful for all he does. We also have uh, Robert Hall and Juan Millian uh, at the Marathon Church of Christ this morning. Robert is preaching there and Juan is teaching class, so a lot going on. Things, things are busy and, and people are active. If you are considering going on that Gulf Coast uh, hurricane relief trip, we do urge you to sign up this morning. That's a space-limited trip because of the fact we'll be in vans and, and the accommodations that will be waiting for us there. So if you're thinking of coming, uh, sign up to go, uh, and that will be today. And then next Sunday will be the, the final sign-up day. Um, I, if you'll just give me one moment of personal privilege, uh, I uh, was at, as many were, at a uh, birthday party uh, yesterday for uh, Marianne Hudson, and I want to add my voice of people wishing her a happy birthday. She's turned 65, and we're grateful for that. When uh, a, a, an old uh, uh, Sunset member Jess Ryan uh, turned 85, and when he did, they printed in the bulletin, Happy Birthday to Jess Ryan on his 80th birthday. And then he said to me, you know, that's wrong, but don't tell him. <laughs> when, when I was young, I was taught to discriminate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees based on what they thought of the afterlife. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and I was taught that was sad, you see. The Pharisees did, and that's fair, you see. So how did the Sadducees arrive at the view? The word resurrection never appears in the Old Testament, what, what our Jewish friends called just scripture. Uh, hell is never mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, although Gehana is translated into hell in Greek, and that's referred to in Jeremiah 7.31. That was a physical place. It was a physical place where children were sacrificed. Gehana translated into hell. There's a lot about heaven in the Old Testament, but it's mostly in terms of a place where God's presence exists. And so the Sadducees were literalists. They couldn't find direct evidence of the resurrection, and so they just rejected it entirely as a concept. But the evidence was, if you will, hiding in plain sight. Isaiah 26, verse 19 says, Your dead will live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Your dew is a dew of mourning, and the earth will give birth to her dead. And then, of course, we have this morning's passage, Ezekiel 37, uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, we have been working through a series uh, on Sunday mornings uh, called The Whole Story of the Bible in 16 Verses. And today's chapter is chapter 10, uh, and that's the Valley of the Dry Bones from Ezekiel 37. Jim had asked me, uh, weeks ago, uh, if I could cover chapter 10, neither of us knew at the time what it was about, uh, but I was delighted 
when I saw that chapter 10 was Ezekiel 37 because it's a passage that I love. It's a passage that I have spoken about before, and I apologize if some of what I say this morning sounds familiar. But as I was getting ready to deliver the lesson, I thought, I'm glad I'm being reminded of this, and I hope you all will be as well. So let's, if you have a Bible handy, just read together the vision that Ezekiel has as told in Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, and he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones. Say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land then you will know that I have, the Lord hath spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Word of the Lord. It's useful in understanding uh, this vision of Ezekiel to uh, think about and understand a little bit about the historical context in which uh, Ezekiel is brought when he, uh, when he has this vision. In, in 922 B.C., uh, Israel was split in two uh, as the uh, as at Solomon's death, uh, the kingdom wasn't able to hold together and it split into the northern kingdom uh, with its capital of Samaria and the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, with its capital of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. and 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 that was uh, Sennacherib was the, the Assyrian king and he attempted to attack and take uh, Jerusalem, but There was a prolonged siege, and you remember King Hezekiah was the king of Jerusalem at the time, brought the wells uh, uh, to provide water within the city walls, uh, and Jerusalem was spared. During the 5th century B.C., the 
uh, Assyrian uh, kingdom began to wane, and the Babylonian Empire became ascendant, and it became dominant. The Syrian city of Nineveh fell uh, to uh, Babylon in 612 B.C. And then the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah and the southern kingdom. And, and that story is told in 2 Kings uh, chapter 24. And if you'll turn with me there, I just want to read a bit about the, uh, the, the Babylonian kingdom's attack on Jerusalem. This is starting in verse 12. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim priest, prisoner, as the Lord had declared. Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. So that the, the fall of Judah, uh, the takeover of Jerusalem, and it's during this period that Ezekiel is exiled to Babylon. And he is in Babylon when he has this vision. His entire career is as an exile in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar sets up a vassal king uh, in Jerusalem, Zedekiah. But Zedekiah decides he's going to take matters into his own hands, and he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar declares Jerusalem free from Babylonian reign. And in response, Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem again. And that story is told in 2 Kings uh, chapter 25. And just let me, let me read part of that as well. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. By the way, so it's a two-year siege. And Lamentations 4.10, this is also in, in Jeremiah, they resorted to cannibalism. That's how bad things got within, within the city walls. Uh, verse 4, the city wall was broken through, and then the whole army fled at night through the gate between the walls near the king's garden. So Zedekiah and his it's a, it's a nighttime effort to escape. Uh, through the garden, the Babylonians were surrounding. They fled toward Arabah. In other words, they went, they went into the desert. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. Now, it's almost a, it's a passage not fit for children. But you have to remember, I mean, that part of the Babylonian approach was organized and planned terror to brutalize their opposition to literally break their will. So, so notice what they do when they finally catch uh, 
uh, King Zedekiah. He was captured, verse 6. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So they execute his sons in front of him. That's the last thing he sees, and then they blind him. So when he arrives in Babylon, you know, any potential heir to the throne has been executed. He's blind, and he shows up in bronze shackles. So now, here are the exiles that two years earlier had been carried off to Babylon. They, they know, you see, they hear what's happening in Jerusalem. They're holding out hope that maybe Zedekiah can hold up against King Nebuchadnezzar. But, you know, what happens? They get this horrible news that everything is lost. And then not only do, not only do uh, the Babylonians kill and blind the king, then they really ransack the city. And that chapter in Second Kings goes on. They, they, they burn every building that's standing. They level the city. They break down the city walls. And this is the news that comes back to the exiles in Babylon who had been hoping for Zedekiah to survive this Babylonian onslaught. And it's in, it's in that hopelessness uh, to a people that had been carried off into exile, that God grabs Ezekiel, if you will, by the shirt collar and sets him down in the valley of dry bones. You know, what exactly, what exactly did Ezekiel experience? Ezekiel 37, it's not telling a parable. He somehow, it says, the, the, this is verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me. I think you have that, Mike. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit and set me in the middle of a valley. He was physically, spiritually, somehow transported into a valley. And when he looks into that valley, what he sees is a valley, this is verse 2, with great many bones, covered the floor of the valley, and the bones were dry bones, dry bones, bones with no hope of ever Reviving, you know the fact that they emphasize they're dry. These are these are sun bleached. You look at it and think this is a wasteland. And then God asked Ezekiel a question. It's what I would think of as a trick question. I've said before, if I had been his lawyer, I would have said, just don't answer that question. That's a trick question. Can these bones live? Can these bones live? And, uh, you know, my guess uh, this morning, if we're honest, uh, is that we're all probably dealing with some equally tricky questions in our lives, right? That's sort of been that kind of week. Can this relationship, conceived in love but now mired in despair, survive? Can our country, so divided and fractured, be united in justice and mercy? Can our congregation here at Sunset Drive on 122nd Avenue thrive and be a light of God's grace and compassion in this community? Will my faith recover? Will my kids be okay? With bombs sent to our political leaders and worshipers killed in a synagogue precisely for their faith, are we going to be okay? Ezekiel's answer is kind of a non-answer, but it's perfect. God only knows. But God's answer, and I'm going to jump ahead to the ending, is emphatic. 
And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Those dry, sun-bleached, dead bones with no hope of having life, seemingly incapable of ever reviving, are within God's power to revive. And that is the whole point of Ezekiel's vision. When you despair, when circumstances are dire, when you're ready to give up, when it seems that things are irreversibly broken, when all hope is lost, God will act. Revival is coming. And all that is lost will be made new. And every tear will be wiped away. Simply put, the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, is the, the lesson is that there is no situation so hopeless that it is beyond God's power to revive. So God ignores Ezekiel's non-answer. And he says to Ezekiel, speak to those bones and tell them to hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. It's like God says through Ezekiel to them, just listen to me. So, so let's, let, let me just remind us of some things to listen to. Cast thy burden on the Lord. He shall strengthen thee. Weeping may endure for the night. Joy cometh in the morning. The Lord has delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. In this world... You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. We just have to listen to what he's told us. God's word gives us hope, even, maybe even especially in dark times. And like, the, like uh, any revival, you know, it doesn't happen suddenly. You know, poor, poor Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a prophet to feel sorry for. He just, you know, he's, he's drug off to this valley of dry bones. And then it's not just this vision, then it's the noise, right? Look, look at, look at uh, verse 7. As I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. What did that, what did that sound like? Right? What a horrifying thing. But it didn't happen suddenly. God said, you know, watch this. And this bone connects to that bone and that bone. And as this noise starts, it starts a rattling and things come back together. Ezekiel heard something stirring. And then God took what seemed hopeless and revived it through a process that gets described. The, the process of the bones coming together, the process of the breath being brought back into these bodies. It took a process, but revival occurred. We had a family reunion in Pigeon Forge this summer. That was my side of the family. How we ended up in Pigeon Forge, I have no idea. There was voting involved, but I think it was rigged. We ended up in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I think there were about 25 of us or so. My oldest sister was there. She has, she has three kids. She has four grandkids now. And her oldest son, my nephew Eric, was there. He's, he's 35 now. And uh, as I was thinking about this lesson, I've been thinking about Eric. He, there was a time when he wasn't around, right? So uh, when he was 15, they lived in New York City. He was uh, arrested for tagging a subway car. That means spraying graffiti on it. Uh, then he dropped out of high school. He's, he's got 
two parents, both of which have doctorates and are college professors, and, and he drops out of high school. Uh, and then he sort of dropped off the radar screen. It just There were long periods of time my sister really didn't know what he was up to or what he was doing. Uh, he was not in contact, not sure where he was living. But then there was a noise. It was a rattle. Uh, he uh, calls one day. She's the dean at a university and says, now how much, she was at Long Island University, so how much trouble do you think it would be if I tried to enroll? She said, well, you know, you've got to have a GED first, you know, to like call a high school drug. So, he, you know, he took his GED exam. Uh, he started working part-time, started going to school part-time. Six years later, he barely falls over the finish line at Long Island University. Meanwhile, his younger sister is graduating summa cum laude from Columbia University. But nobody celebrates that. You know, they all celebrate Eric finished. And uh, he's just sort of back. He's come back. And uh, so at, at Pigeon Forge, in, in the midst of all that uh, tourism gunk, I said to my sister, you know, it's really nice to, to have Eric back. And she said, you know, he was gone for a long time. I just had to let that happen. But I really never stopped believing that there would be a time when he would come back. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Hear the word of the Lord. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Them bones, them bones gonna rise up. Hear the word of the Lord. The, the exiles did return from Babylon, and there's a psalm that talks about when they got back uh, to Judah. And that's Psalm 126, and it's a psalm of thanksgiving. The psalmist says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. It's like, is this really happening, or is this a dream? We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And, and, and pardon me here again, I went on a bike trip several years ago to Israel. Uh, I have a friend who says I'm the only, only guy that the first time he went to Jerusalem, he got there by bicycle, but I did. And we, we rode one day through parts of the Negev, and this was in the summer. And in the summer, it's bone dry. I mean, it's, it, it looks like Arizona. But like Arizona, you know, they can get some flash flooding, and then those dry stream beds fill with water. So restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Those who, this is verse 5, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. God is a God of revival, of hope. Our tears will be turned to songs of joy. Our mouths will be filled with laughter. Our sorrow will be turned to joy. It's Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So don't lose hope. We keep walking. We trust God's process and believe that eventually we'll be able to run. And at some point we will soar like eagles. And that's our prayer for each one of you this morning. That whatever tears you've cried this week will be turned to laughter, that your tears and sorrow will be joy, and that God will bring revival and renewal into your life. If you're subject to our invitation this morning, come while we stand and sing.